Hello, this is Robin. Hi, this is Karen. And today we're going to be talking about more startup related things. In particular, we're going to talk about Karen's first startup that she attempted to make. I don't have the full details about this, so she'll go over all of it for us in lush detail. Yeah, so my current startup is not actually my first startup. There was a startup that I tried to make happen, and this was quite some time ago. This was back when I was working at Symphony Commerce, back as a full stack engineer. And at that time, you know, I was definitely interested in, in the startup culture, definitely interested in meeting new people. I went to this Taiwanese meetup where, you know, I got introduced to a couple people that had done startups before. And one of them was a person that has had run his own gaming company. It was like a two to three studio gaming company. Or, well, there were two main people in it, and I'm sure they hired more additional people, but they, they helped make small mobile games or video games for other companies. And they wanted me to help them with their idea. And, they, you know, it was, it was pretty interesting at first. We kind of like brainstorm ideas. We definitely knew we wanted to try to apply to the next round of Y Combinator at the time. And what we decided to do was we wanted to take a look at how we can improve how to initiate social gatherings. Robin, has this ever been a problem for you? Like you want to do something with your friends, but no one wants to take the initiative to schedule it? No, but that sounds like a really plausible problem. <laughs> um, at least in my circle of friends, uh, people just do things and then like sometimes ask if other people want to do it. Otherwise they just do it. But uh yeah, I can see how organizing things could not be as fun as a pro- part of the process. Yeah, so I think that was that was the whole premise of it, like the idea that we could create some kind of really interesting way to automatically schedule get-togethers and that would pick people from your friends list that have similar interests and ask prompt you, "Do you want to go on this?" and it would let you know who else is attending and let you know who else is going. And that would be, you know, a great way to schedule automatic get-togethers. I don't know. Maybe maybe the idea was doomed from the start, but we, we thought that this would be a really interesting way to get people to meet up on a more frequent basis because connections are something people tend to neglect, especially when they're very busy. Okay, I know you went through this, but just to summarize, so this startup domain would just be like for introducing and meeting people or would it be about just meeting with people you've already met meeting with people you already met so scheduling like weekly get-togethers with your friends so i don't think we intended it to be for new people like meetup is i think we intended it to be more like get-togethers with your friends like oh there's a movie coming out automatically prompt you of how if you want to go see it at what time and then help you you know schedule that with your friends okay so all right that's Sounds kind of just like a chat application to me with the assistant calendar, maybe. Yes. Uh, yeah, that sounds actually kind of useful for certain groups. I guess totally see that being useful. Um, so what were some problems you guys had? Was it with the idea or was it with other things? It was both a mix with the idea as well as, you know, delegation of responsibilities. And I think the like there was definitely a personal issue as well. And I think that was what made me step away from the startup. But we'll go into, you know, why the startup failed from a just pure idea and development and execution phase. So we'll get started with that. So I was tasked with pretty much making the iOS application to kind of really, you know, create a demo or a prototype that we can pitch to Y Combinator. And that was the whole premise of what we wanted to do was to get this idea into a pitch and so that we can start thinking of ways to make the product better and actually, you know, execute on the product. So uh, we had brought in, so the idea is that I would be the main engineer on the project. My other founder would be, you know, the CEO acting mostly on the business and sales side. And then we brought in another co-founder that my co-founder knew from his gaming days who would do the design. And that's when we started getting to work. We had a pretty good working relationship, I think. You know, everyone was pretty gung-ho about making this work out. And people, I knew what my responsibilities were. And I knew that, you know, this was something that I can definitely help build based on my experience writing iOS apps at the time. 
and we we started working. I think the first major roadblock was that we when we started to ask people if they would use something like this, we kind of got your signal. We got your mixed signal of, uh, yeah, maybe this will be useful, but not really. Okay, so you got the same problem where you're trying to sell an idea that no one wants to buy. Yes, yes, okay. precisely so. But we obviously at the time you didn't realize that. You think, oh, you know, maybe there's still something there. Maybe we just need to pivot to another idea or just you know gather more data. So first, first major blind spot definitely uh, didn't do enough market research. Got it. Question: Did the role responsibility of uh, doing the market research fall onto just one person in the company or was it spread between the co-founders? I think it was done by one person. So the main main CEO guy was doing most of the market research and you know using his connections to kind of really find out whether or not this could be a viable idea. Maybe that was part of the problem. Do you think? Got it. Well, were there any checks and balances there? Like just a confirmation or was it just like complete blind trust there? Complete blind trust. And I think that's that's another lesson learned, but it was just one of those things where, you know, when it's your first startup, you just trust people to do their jobs, even though if you didn't know them for many years, you just, it just seemed like you have been in this industry. Please just do what you do. All right. I wasn't going to drop two cents on blind faith and things. Uh, normally for anything in general, isn't a com- good idea in my opinion, but yeah, just because uh, like it's, oh, the result will be completely ra- at random. If you don't know what to expect going in, and it seems like that may have been the case here with just the, at least your guys' working relationships. Yeah, and I think, you know, it was one of those things where I was pretty confident that I can work in any environment and with any person. So still back in my naive days where I felt like I could just trust people to do their job because I knew that I could accomplish mine. Yeah, I think that, it, that idea works out as long as you, I mean, don't blindly trust them, right? <laughs> like, if you built a repertoire and, like, understand their work history and how they're motivated intrinsically or extrinsically, then you can figure out, like, oh, okay, I can't expect this thing because these are some signs that things are running into problems or at least he's transparent, or he or she is transparent with, like, delivery or when there are problems, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Things kind of went a little bit south there. I got back, you know, at first we got, we did a bunch of wireframes and I'm like, oh yeah, this kind of, you know, makes sense in terms of automatically scheduling an invite, you know, posting a way to get your friends to agree or disagree to a date and time. But when we, you know, when we started to do iterations on the design, I realized that it was extremely confusing to use and also really, really, really just not, how do I best describe this? User-friendly, polished. It's not, it wasn't polished. It was very like, it reminded me of like the 19, like, like dot com. Just early Windows things? Yeah, early Windows things, exactly. Oh, I like those days. And I think you can get away with that if you're a game designer, but I don't think you can get away with that if you're trying to apply for a pitch for Y Combinator. Like, I would say our hackathons were like 10 times more polished than what this, the designer came up. But I don't think it's the designer fault. He was going definitely from a gaming background design to a mobile app design. And I think there's a bit of a chasm there. So Yeah, definitely. There will be a mismatch of skill set just from the get-go over there from yeah. a design perspective. A lot of video games over add things to the interface just for more flexibility whereas for apps in general for the average user they like having a limited set of things it's easier that way you want simplicity i think for apps most most important thing whereas in gaming it's like the more you know stuff you add the cooler it is to some degree you know the more things that you can twist and do some for some games at least for the major games yeah, like a game I I play a lot is City of Skylines, and I think about like if I stop playing it and come back to it, I basically have to restart because I've forgotten literally everything you're yes. supposed to do. There's like 20 different buttons, and you're like each actually does certain things, and you need to use all of them to play the game successfully. And it's just like you you forget about that, and you know it's nice 
to come back and play the game. But to start out, it's a very hectic. Yeah, but you wouldn't want that in a mobile application that you're trying to use daily, like Facebook or Instagram or something like that, right? That those were the those were at least the top apps of the day, and they definitely emphasize like a minimalist simplicity look and feel with something that's just really, really, really clean and easy to use. It's like a low barrier. Yeah, you want to be able to explain what the number one use case is in two clicks or less. Yeah, so without getting too much into design, but yeah, there were just so many more screens, so many redundant things that the user had to jump through in order to accept, you know, an invite. It was just very, very, very clunky. And, you know, I, I think I remember giving some of this feedback. Some of it was heard, some of it, it was ignored. It was one of those moments where I felt like we weren't going in the right direction, but I also felt like, you know, no one was necessarily listening to some of my concerns because I was the engineer. So yeah, that, that, I think that was the, one of the other major red flags. And now we get to go into the fun story of how it died. So the main reason why this startup died, and I am, it's one of those experiences where I feel like so many women have faced in the startup world, but it's one of those experiences that I just don't, I never felt really comfortable saying it out loud because it's just one of those I, I can't believe this happened to me kind of moments. So this is what happened. I think it was about two weeks before Valentine's Day. And this the founder decided to tell me that he likes me and wanted to ask me out. And that's where I just literally broke down. I mean, I think I was very courteous and maybe a little bit shocked and said, and said, no, I was I'm trying to do this because I want to succeed on my first startup and I don't think it's a good idea. But afterwards, I remember like literally crying for a good like two hours because it was one of those times where I questioned everything. I was like, did this person really start to start with me because he liked me because I was a female because of how I looked as opposed to my skill sets? You know, why, why is this happening kind of thing? And as I was just so shocked and so disappointed and I, I just really at that time I even questioned my skills I was like am I was I chosen because I I am just a female and that that fact that I have engineering skills is helpful but you know maybe it was it was just a really really depressing way to find out yeah I I, I didn't know I was I was really 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 flabbergasted wow that's not a situation I've ever been in most men do, but maybe I'm I'm also generalizing. I think it's it's so to some degree it's embarrassing, but it's, to some degree it's also one of those things where I just didn't want to be another one of those statistics of this is what happens to women that do startups. Okay, um, yeah, that's. <laughs> I like it how you don't know how to react because I don't think that's how you were expecting to be the killing blow of a startup. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't expect that to be a killing blow. I mean, I, I, you've told me this story before, so like, I didn't think that was a killing blow, to be honest. Really? <laughs> I, I, that was the killing blow to me. I At that point, I realized, I don't think I can trust this guy anymore. Um, and I don't think I can work with someone that had, I couldn't understand his intentions. If they no. have exterior yeah. motives, right? Like, I think that's the killing blow. I think this yeah. is the straw, the last straw, right? That broke the camel's back, it right? It could be, but it was definitely one of those really like, emotional, strong moments where I realized, yeah, I don't want to do this. I, at least I don't want to do this with you, and I don't think I want to go through this kind of emotional roller coaster with with the start of a company. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Like, I think the thing that I would say from this perspective is just, you lost trust in the founding team at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and once you lose trust with, you know, when the team is this small, you can't really function if everyone was 100% required for the success of the company, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's, it seems like there were a couple of other problems besides um, domain expertise. And this doesn't seem that well thought out of an idea. And I'm not sure if there was a market for it, as mentioned earlier, right? Right. But I, I think as a result of the experience, I don't know, I've been, it's been really difficult. Like I've been very guarded when it comes to 
my professional experience as a result of this because it's just one of those things where you hear it happen to other women you're like oh no but when it happens to you you're like oh what did I do wrong or what signals did I give that you know might have thrown things out of balance and it's just you start questioning every little thing that you've done do or is a is about you as a result and it's just it's not a fun experience whatsoever yeah I can definitely tell that not from my own experience, but <laughs> from how you explain it, that it, it does make you rethink everything, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that when you lose trust in yourself, yeah. it, it's hard to move forward, right? It is, it is, because I think you confidence is really hard to build, especially you know in in your profession. And when you build that, you feel like you can accomplish a lot. But when there are things that take a hammer to it, you kind of have to start from the ground up again. Maybe it's easier the second time to get back up, but it's definitely one of those. It was definitely one of those moments where I realized I can't work with every person and I can't build trust easily with every single person. And so I I believe that this was just at least an important lesson to really assess who you're starting a a company with and really make sure that you trust them. Trust them to the extent that, trust them not to like try to hit on you while you're trying to build a company. Also trust them to like, you know, think through product market fit, think through, you know, what feedback each person is giving and making sure that each, you know, not not that every voice should be heard equally, but like that it's taken into consideration. Got it. Okay. Those are a lot of good takeaways. Glad that um, you had some lessons learned here. Okay, cool. Um, were there anything else you wanted to talk about about this incident? Um, we did not make it to Y Combinator, and I'm pretty sure, you know, it was it was just... I'm glad that I learned a lot from it. I do feel bad for both people involved. If circumstances were different, maybe it would have ended up differently. But yeah, that's just the story of Silicon Valley and startups. All right, yeah. Um, okay, so for all those male or female founders don't out there listening don't hit on you know other founders or employees working at your company yeah unless it's mutual i guess like yeah unless you want to risk the success of the whole company i think that's a good point if you're willing to risk, <laughs> risk the success of the whole company then that is the angle that you should be looking at because failure is or isn't the worst outcome i guess yeah yeah. Okay, cool. All right, let's move on from this idea and talk about some... So, there's been this one Kickstarter recently about a game that these two people want to make called Dream World. And going from this to that topic, we just want to talk about some um, kind of red flags that we see kind of thing. Do you want to start with uh, some things you or talk about what Dreamworld is in more detail? Yeah, so from watching their Kickstarter, it seems like they're trying to create a video game that is a bit like Minecraft, that's a bit like a free open world venue where you can do and build and create and kind of like, almost like Roblox almost, like do a lot of things that, and give you a lot of freedom and do this with a huge group of people. And I think it's just, it has... A really interesting, you know, ambition, and I think the things that we uh, want to talk about are, you know, relate to kind of like my story earlier, relate to the founders and how their their stories are pretty interesting as well. Yeah, definitely. Just want to add, um, the game itself is on their website. They list being played between fourteen and forty members of playable in an instance of the game, and it's going to be able to you can basically build anything free, like a sandbox environment but also have in-game trading and everything. So you could like trade for resources with other players, I guess. I'm not exactly sure on the detail there. And um, they're trying to sell a lot of features that seem difficult to build out. Um, from a, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was kind of like... For, for a person that plays a lot of games, I mean, sandbox games are fun, but, like, this seemed to, like, have a massive amount of, like, everything. You can have, like, pets. You can have, like, trading. You can have, like, building a house. You can have, like, I don't know, it looked like events were happening at some point or something like that. Yeah, and 
we just want to talk about like how they pitched the idea in their startup sorry in their kickstarter video and it's kind of like i feel like it's not the best way to pitch an idea because i was trying to evoke emotions out of a person whereas they didn't really say their uh skill sets or their domain expertise or their ability to actually deliver and i feel like that is attacking the wrong vector to properly raise funds just just generally speaking I question that a little bit because I think emotion does help raise funds. It might not their their video might not lead you to be confident in their product, but it does make you emotionally want to support them it, and have them succeed. Which I think they do do a good job of that. I think that's a good thing. However, I don't think it's it's a good thing to earn funds. I'm going to agree with that. I think it's a bad thing if you're whole company is reliant on evoking emotions out of these people because either that means you're desperate for some reason and you need it which i mean i understand sometimes that's the case but at the same time like at least for this i don't understand why they need to raise that many funds if there's only two people working on it and like they've been working for a while they should have have savings to be able to continue the project and deliver something that's playable if that's the case right well, they did have an open job rec, so I'm assuming that they want to be able to pay that person. Otherwise, that person probably wouldn't join on board. But I would feel like that would be after the Kickstarter was successful, right? They have an opening on their... They got accepted to Y Combinator, right? Yes, they mentioned that as well. I have not looked into the details of that, but it's being accepted to Y Combinator for anything in general is just like really, really good. Yeah, I was like, that's pretty damn impressive. I don't think a lot of, I think a lot of companies don't get into Y Combinator, especially in the gaming industry. I don't recall there being a lot of games being accepted. It's just one of those fields that they don't tend to invest a lot into. Yeah, uh, there are a few reasons why Y Combinator and other uh, incubators slash groups don't assist in that. It's just that the payouts from video games the video game industry is not that great in comparison to just the success rate of other tech-related things. Um, The reason there is just a lot of tech companies today that exist found an opening because pre-existing companies didn't want to adapt to changing times. And video games have been around for, you know, it's an old industry kind of thing. It's, you know, 20 plus years at this point. I mean, if you go all the way back, You'll be even talking about like forty, like text-based games, right? Maybe forty years plus, right? And it's not trying to really break into a new market anymore. So all the easy hanging fruit is no longer there, right? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Just from the investor standpoint, not talking about just. I mean, there's also other viewpoints which you could assess, which is like, oh. Will this make people really happy? I guess if that's what you're into, because not all investors care about money, apparently. Yeah, sometimes investors are looking for impact to society or something that can inspire other, you know, ventures. I, I do think that you did hit on upon a point of like, if motion is not a good way to build a foundation of a company, I'm not too sure, like, spinning and looking at the background of both founders, how they would have been able to pitch this otherwise, because they don't seem to have a lot of game experience and and I think this was just one of the ways they can get around talking about their actual, you know, background in gaming and to focus more on like let's let's raise money for something that they want to accomplish. Yeah, that seems like a red flag to me though, just in general. <laughs> just it sounds to me like, Hi, I need money for this thing. I don't have domain expertise. I don't know what I'm doing, but I want money to hire people to do the idea. Right, like that to me sounds like you're raising capital, expecting a payout as an investor rather than actually wanting to create this idea yourself. Right, that could be true. Do you not suspect that they won't be able to get these fine, fine ways to build this without having that game expertise knowledge? Uh, yes, <laughs> uh, game development is a very difficult thing in general. Like. A lot of companies spend a lot of money doing de- de- development work and 
never release a game because it just costs too much. And that's with people that actually have experience in it. And if you go kind of blind as they are now into it, it like there's a lot more hurdles that one would think that there are kind of thing. Yeah, I think I would, they would instill more confidence if they were able to like develop some other game first. Maybe maybe they should have taken something less ambitious as their first go around, and then use that experience to build on top into Dreamworld. That would probably be my recommendation for them. Yeah, I would definitely think that, and also just like like a high level, the game itself doesn't really have any real innovative gameplay. It's very generic in that sense, but. It's still overambitious in the initial deliveries because it's just trying to build out a whole system for doing freeform building, which in general is fun if you scope it down to like maybe blocks like Minecraft does. But once you get into like more freeform, you get into like settlement building, which itself becomes really difficult because of how you constrain it to the land as how things walk and everything. And large companies don't do this well either. Agreed. Do you feel like they don't have experience in also executing things as well? Because I think that is something that founders often need some experience in their belts of actually, you know, completing a project so that they can have that experience of what it feels like to go from start to finish. I'm I wondering definitely... if you thoughts on that. I definitely would feel better if they had prior experience working on games within the same vector. Definitely if they had industry experience from a game studios uh, and actually worked at the role that they are expecting to deliver on. I mean, one of them seems like an engineer, or they both seem like engineers. Is that it? I'm not sure exactly. Um, one, one of them, them is an definitely an engineer. The other okay. one is questionable engineer. Got it. So that itself doesn't instill great confidence for me. Also, looking at their job rec doesn't look that well flushed out. Wait, what does um, their job rec read? Sounds like they want someone that either knows C++ or can learn it real quick. And I'm just like, what? You know how long it takes things to master C++ into actually delivering useful components? A long motherfucking time. That's it. Just like, it's very weird to look for anything but senior slash principal level for those things. Uh, like, it's just weird. I can learn C++. Uh, yes, you can learn it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I, can, I can qualify for the second half of that. Definitely. You want, you want to fly, Robin? I, I kind of want to just know what their interview process is, like, looking at this. Because it's really, like, they're... Um, job opening on Y Combinator is just very, very light. It just says, we're looking for great programmers that know or can quickly learn C++, Unreal Engine, game development, Git. And then also, it's a plus if you've done distributed systems or Go. Like, this is all over the fucking place, to be honest. Sorry. You need to beep, beep that out, but it's this is all over the place. And it's a mess. Distributed systems? Oh, interesting. And that might be just for their multiplayer online component in the backend service, right? So, yeah, but um, you would honestly you want to have separate roles for this? Yeah. Even at like a small company, because they do different things, like completely different things. The things you the factors you have to worry about are very different. You want someone with deep experience for a game that you need to have performance or processing like if you don't need it that's fine then you can move on but um yeah this is weird because like you have really high level things like git game development that are like okay super easy to like actually say you might know but then like c++ is super deep and hard i mean game development i would say is more of a domain expertise and honestly looking at the two founders their backgrounds doesn't seem that game development heavy Let's check what they're... Yeah, not at all. Uh, One of them has worked at pretty prestigious companies, and I think it's definitely, you know, we looked at his background before. He's definitely a hardware engineer, and I think that that itself, I, I always find those people to be extremely impressive because it's it's so much difficult working in low-level languages and actual physical things, in my opinion. It might be very different um, but for other people, but yeah, he's worked on some pretty 
good and great stuff. And I I do not see how this translates into game development, though I might be wrong. I do think there's some probably basic engineering principles, but I do think hardware and game development are very different in terms of engineering best practices and patterns. This is like day and night, to be honest. Um, my experience is that in undergrad, I did a pro- senior project on um, a self-driving car that basically was programmed in a hardware language. So I spent a good year programming that shit. And it doesn't map anything over, basically, if you're doing just like hardware level like that. I mean, maybe able to communicate with other components that you have. But that's at such a low level that most software engineers probably won't have touched except for in school. And I feel like a lot of those skill sets, because even the timing is different. Like, you have to worry about different parameters, such as, like, I mean, depends on how low level the hardware actually is. Like, you need to worry about, like, how much energy it takes, the actual location of where it is, the resistance and everything. We're doing a laying out of stuff. But um, if it's just the actual code code, like, your constraints will probably be memory and those things. But I honestly feel like those constraints aren't a problem we worry about in most day-to-day software anymore. I mean, your Chrome takes, like, a fucking gigahertz now. That's just a browser. Yes. Like, they're okay with taking a lot of fucking memory. Yeah. Sorry. Like, these are just not real concerns anymore because of different, different hardware that you work with. Yeah. And it's weird to me to see someone with that experience be leading a non-hardware project, I guess. I think that's a fair point. I don't. I do think it's interesting that they're taking that leap, but it, I, I think they can make it work. I think these. it seems like these people could be extremely resourceful. There are a ton of resources online to help you get into game development, though I don't think you will create a lot of mastery in it until you actually probably keep going through several cycles and iteration. I mean, this this is obviously something that takes years. So I don't think, I do think that they have some resources they can use to get better. And obviously they're trying to hire someone, but yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I actually wanted to bring up the point when I first saw this video, I think I made a comment to you and said, I think they should hire a graphic 3D modeler or designer because their game looks awful. <laughs> oh God. Uh, so in the video, in the Kickstarter video, they're actually using all viable assets. So there's like no theme going on there. They're just assets that you buy from the store and then you just plop in to Unity and stuff and then it works kind of thing. Sorry, Unreal Engine and it works. Although, to be honest, I think the assets also are in every other thing. They're just really basic assets that you find universally kind of thing. Yeah, and I, I think for me, I. I tend to judge a game by how it looks. It doesn't need to look like amazing. I mean, I love, you know, pixel games as well, as well as, you know, games that have like minimal graphics, but it just needs to look like a, like something that's actually complete. And this, this looks like a really interesting and not fun thing to do. The the vision is nice, but the game does not look fun. Yeah, well, I think the thing is, like, this is supposed to be an alpha, so, like, they don't really have assets yet, supposedly, and things like that, so this Kickstarter is just saying they have an idea. That's it. They're literally trying to sell an idea, and that's it. We had that whole discussion last podcast about how ideas are so common. Everyone has an idea. Everyone can come up with an idea, and everyone can, you know, try to think that their idea is special and a little snowflake. But I think the honest truth is that ideas are not very valuable and they're not very good most of the time. And it's really in the execution that actually matters whether or not a startup or something like this will actually work out. Definitely. Like, it's in the delivery and execution. And man, having ideas, so cheap, so easy. Okay. Oh my goodness. Do you have any more comments about this dream world and the founders? Do you have any advice for them? I mean, there are a lot of problems that I see in the Kickstarter itself. I think Kira TV mentioned it. He's a YouTube streamer. Um, and it's just like, I'm not going to go over all those, but just some highlights there is just like, they're not advertising that the Kickstarter people that pledge get anything 
thing out of it. Normally, Kickstarters will say, oh, you get the game, or you get, like, some swag, or you get something like that, right? But they don't actually say they're buying the game. And I think the other thing mentioned is that in the Kickstarter, they actually don't say they're going to use the funds to deliver an actual game. They actually only say they're delivering an alpha. And then, like, all your, they're not selling you anything but basically a video at that point. That seems really sketch to me. Just, like, from the get-go, this removes all liability. So great on them that they were able to sell something that gives them basically no liability. But it just kind of seems like a red flag saying that, oh, they're not really super serious on this project. They, they have, like, a parachute to get out, and the plane hasn't even taken off. I would disagree with that. I think they are serious about this project. It does seem like something that they are clearly invested into. They probably wouldn't have gotten into Y Combinator unless they were able to pitch something successfully and really make a commitment to it. I think I think a lot of the problem lies into, you know, I think they probably promised only an alpha because that's, you know, what they can stick to. I think have you invested a lot into Kickstarter? Because I have. And about, I would say, 20% of the projects I invested into never actually produce something. Oh, yeah. I have never invested anything in Kickstarter yet I because um, I've bought only one, you know, pre-release game kind of thing and had a bad experience with that. Mm-hmm. And never again will I do that. People all the time over-promise and under-deliver especially on the idea phase of things, because they just, I, I mean, honest truth, I don't think they're trying to be scammy or anything. It's no. just that they just don't understand the scope of what they're selling, right? Yeah, I, I think that is more of the sentiment that I'm trying to come ac- uh, get across, is that I don't think they're trying to scam people. I don't think they're trying to take people's money and just run with it. I think they're actually trying to build this and they're trying to make sure that they, they'll they work really hard to get this done. At the end of the day, it might not be to the satisfactions of their backers, but it's one of those things that as a Kickstarter, you kind of just recognize that good chunk of the time when you invest in something, it's not going to pay out. And I've had a lot of disappointments with Kickstarters, but I also had a few things that I actually you know liked, and that's just part of the community of, of backing these kinds of really, really risky projects. Yeah, that's... I don't think they're doing anything wrong here. I think they're they're fine. I think they're you know Kira TV did point out that they are playing an emotional uh, side of things, and I do think that they're going to have a hard time executing. But I don't think it's a scam. I think they're doing something that everyone else has done in the past when it comes to Kickstarter projects. Fair, fair enough. Just I'm excited to see what they deliver, but at the same time, I have very little expectation on them delivering. Just maybe that's what they want. Okay, I I mean, I wish them the best for this. And, you know, I hope their project goes out and becomes, you know, the next big hit. Yep. Were there any uh, comments you want to make about DreamWorld, about any of the backgrounds that the founders had, or about anything they're pitching? None for me, other than the fact that, you know, half the time when I, I read about DreamWorld, I think about making one as well. So... Let's let's get started on that one day too, Robin. All right, wonderful. We'll create a sandbox game, and we're just gonna go on, create a Kickstarter video. We'll ask for money. We'll create a sob story. What's a sob story here, though? We have to do an emotional play because we actually don't have that much game <laughs> development experience. So we gotta do this, okay? Uh, what what we gotta say? It's like we have to say something at the time, like something relatable to most people, something that affected everyone, you know. Not sure what that'll be. Maybe there'll be another pandemic and we get to say, oh, because of the pandemic, lost my job. Yeah, maybe maybe something like that. That would be great. Yeah, maybe one day. We got we to play it really well, okay? Otherwise, we won't. I find it really difficult to get the funding if we don't have, like, something that makes actual sense, you know? Oh, that you make makes you pity the founders and make you feel like they are going to pour their heart and soul into this because this is the only thing they have left. Yeah, I mean that's that's the best thing we got. Okay, we had to do a pity play. There's there's no literally no other thing we could do. Like it doesn't honestly make sense if we start this idea that people would fund it because people will be like, oh, don't you guys have money? Because you guys actually are software engineers slash people working in tech for the last literally all your adult life. You know, ten plus years. And then we'll be like, yeah. And they'll be like, why didn't you save any money? We'd be like, oh, 
That's mm-hmm. our money. We don't want to invest our money into this. We want to invest your money. We're giving you an opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, dude. Honestly, like, <laughs> my two cents is like, why the fuck did you ask for Kickstarter money? Just, you should have some savings. And if you didn't, work your job for another, you know, year or two. Start your idea at that point when you actually have three to six months runway, which you'll actually be healthy kind of thing. Like, why do you need this investment money? It doesn't make sense. You could do that or you get a commercial loan. Like, there's lots of revenues, like, sorry, a lot of opportunities where you generate revenue in the long term. If you actually look at it as, like, from a business perspective, that's it. This just doesn't make sense that you're trying to use other people's money to fund your idea if you're not willing to put your money on the line. I just... I think that's a fair point. I don't know if you, they probably have put money on the line. It's just a matter of they want to probably amplify the time it takes to complete it. And so therefore they need to hire people. So I, I get your sentiment, Robin. I do understand it, but I also think that, you know, they're, they're just doing what they, they know other people have done. Yeah. Other people have done this. Yes. Yes. Not, I'm not going to further comment on that. <laughs> so there because I don't know, I really, from the video, from Dream World and everything, just, man, it seems so scummy to me at the, just watching it, just because like they're doing an emotional play, evoking emotions on something that I don't think they could deliver because they don't have the experience. Or, and also, like, it just doesn't seem like they know what they're talking about from their experience. And kind of want to jump kind of from there into a large company that was, you know, quite popular, got a lot of funding that probably people are still remembering, like Theranos with Elizabeth Holmes. Yeah, no, Theranos is such an interesting story. And I'm pretty sure I have a different opinion than the general public when it comes to Elizabeth Holmes. And and Robin, do you want to give an overview of what Theranos is for the few people that have never heard of it? Yeah, so Theranos is this one medical tech company which was going to take your blood sample and then return you a bunch of results really relatively quickly. I don't know what they actually advertise in the final thing, but I want to say they were going to get you test results in like less than an hour or something, which is medically impossible. That That's just literally not physically possible because of how cells work. You know, those things, the things that let us figure things out on a biological level. Uh, yeah, that actually takes actual time. Another thing they were promising is that they'll be able to, instead of having a huge lab do all the blood work for you, they just have this one device, like a server box kind of thing, just like one thing that you can fit in your car that'll do all the testing for you and get you all the results from there. And with that said, the, um, Elizabeth Holmes didn't have that much medical experience as far as I'm aware. Is that right, Karen? She did go to Stanford as far as I remember, and she did was taking classes around this area, I believe is, is how she got the idea. So I don't think she has like a full background in it, but she did work with people that did have experience. I don't think founders need to have insane expertise in their field if they're able to have advisors slash other people in their area that can provide them more so in that domain expertise got it and i think at least from the podcast the dropout uh, by rebecca jarvis in that podcast it does mention that her advisors said it was impossible is it, isn't that right kind I, of thing like i feel like they said that probably after the fact as opposed to before the fact like there, there's definitely like some level of play here where I think that she believed that this was, you know, there are ways to speed up and might uh, speed up certain tests and to be able to provide data, even though it might not be, you know, 100% accurate or conclusive. I do think that there are probably ways to do that, but I don't think like what she was trying to sell was necessarily... Might not have been necessary. Please, well, I don't know. I'm not an expert in this field, and I don't. I don't want to speak on whether or not things are feasible, based on my experiences. Got it. But I, I, I do want to comment on the fact that I think one of the reasons why Theranos got a huge audience and spotlight to it is because that Elizabeth Holmes was the founder of it. I do think that this was a story that was centered primarily because the founder was a female 
was female. And I, I to this day, I still don't think Elizabeth Holmes did anything. She she might have done things that were wrong, I admit, but I don't think she did anything that were different than what I think most typical Silicon Valley startups do. Yeah, I think I would agree with that statement. I think just looking at from a, if you want to read, the, the problem is people look at this result oriented, right? Like imagine if her company actually was able to deliver, right? Then it would be a totally different story, different narrative, right? It'll be a unicorn. There'll be a big next big company, and we'd be living in you know a golden age of like blood work and everything. That didn't happen because uh, reality hits, and sometimes we just don't, we just can't deliver on things like that, right? And it's other, as you mentioned, like I also agree that if this was like anyone else, like it was a male, it would just not have been a good big big story, you know. Yeah, I think if it was a male founder that founded Theranos, it would have been just one of those, you know, Silicon Valley startup fails. Oh, well, move on to the next, you know, interesting thing that might be popping up. But I think that the media definitely made a big deal of this because she was female and it was so grand. I think that was probably one of her her mistakes is around, you know, trying to make Theranos just such a brand name and focusing so much on the marketability of it as opposed to just you know focusing purely on the research and tech i think this is something that maybe could be feasible one day but probably just needed more time and she needed to downplay expectations in order to make this company successful because i think there are there's there's some things that i i think from the the dropout that indicated that there were some things that theranos could potentially do with a single blood drop just not all the things they promised. Yes, yeah. So they did roll back on their promises a little bit. I think it would have been fine, honestly. But they just never did. They held on to the idea that it was going to do all these great things and just never lived up to that. Yeah, and I think it's difficult because once you start saying that you promise certain things, investors hold you up to that. You're the board holds you up to that. And sometimes you just need time in order to catch up to your promises. I think that's what happens in startups a lot of the times. You know, I think I think back to what Symphony Commerce promised, right? I don't think that everything was built the moment that it was promised. Um, a lot of things were still in flux and a lot of things uh, the company was still trying to figure out. But at the same time, you know, I think given enough time, it would have achieved a lot of the things that it was going for. Yeah, definitely. Like everything was feasible for our thing. Um, so, Symphony Commerce did a. We worked in the e-commerce space with large or mid-sized companies, um, and basically gave them a storefront that was relatively straightforward to edit. And we would give them tech support on how to do that. And it was basically a shopping platform where you could just like buy whatever you want that they were selling. Yeah, and it was a full integration. So we would have you know fulfillment integration order integration, everything from merchandising into sending out useful information to your customers about marketing. That was, it was, it had everything that you needed in order to fully support an e-commerce site. Yeah. Um, it just, you know, it's a lot of things you have to handle and manage. And we, that there was integration with the delivery systems, for example. So you would be able to find, oh, Where's my package? Or, you know, who shipped it and things like that, right? And there'll be other things like, how does this get invoiced at all to the person uh, sending them emails or whatever, what they needed. And it's a whole full service, as mentioned. But yeah, there are definitely times for that where I believe we had hard deadlines for things in the sense we promised a de- this thing to be done at this release time. And, you know, you try your best to develop it, but Maybe it just takes too long. Maybe you, and I mean, if you don't make it, you don't make it, but you do, you try your best to do it, right? And, you know, if you don't, if you look at it result oriented, there's a lot more failures that way for any company in general. And mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at it like that for Theranos, it definitely looks like a failure, but it might have just been like, oh, they just needed literally more time. As someone with literally no experience in that, in biology, medical field, or anything working with blood. Like, yeah, to me, that seems like a possibility. I would definitely have listened to my advisors in that scenario about the feasibility of that. And hopefully they would trust me enough to be like, yeah, I think we should push back or, you know, change the product or pivot or something like that, right? Yeah, I think that's something they should have 
thought put some thought into because I think it, the idea definitely resonated with a lot of people. The idea is definitely something that is enticing and can really, really can change the landscape of medical. I think there were several of these machines ordered at CVS and the idea of being able to, you know, get a status of, you know, how you're doing physically and health-wise with just a drop of blood. That sounds so wonderful from a consumer point of view. And I think, you know, they definitely had something there that could, that really spoke to people. And so I think utilizing that and maybe like you said, downgrading the scope or lowering expectations or trying to pivot into something that is just much more feasible was definitely a, could have been, you know, a successful outcome. It's just rather unfortunate that I think she became kind of the scapegoat of Silicon Valley and, and of, of people promising a little bit too much and not delivering in a short period of time because the expectations and the stakes were really high. Yeah, but I feel like at the same time, I understand the pressures added to Elizabeth Holmes, it is a lot of pressure to be like, okay, all these people are expecting these great things. I need to deliver it, right? But I honestly would imagine, I don't know if she had the out there, but then to reorganize it and say, okay, we're going to do an iterative phases saying we'll release this at this date. That just doesn't one blood work. And if we, then we'll reimagine it. If we, it's not physically possible to do it, then we just can't sell the other thing and try to pivot into some other field there because... I would imagine there's actually other ways to sell this to companies besides just saying it does everything. It does a subset of the things, right? Yeah, precisely so. But the other problem is like they they were really selling the dream all the way to the end. They're just you have to realize when to let off the gas. Yeah, not sure how else to put it because I think that was the one flaw there is that. It's not the overpromising necessarily. It's how they reacted to overpromising, and they reacted to the overpromising by continuing to promise. And I feel way worse about that than I would if they had just said, "We can't deliver what we promised there, but we will give you this other thing we've worked on." Right? Like it's I I I like organizations that are more transparent, and with that transparency and things, I would have lost less. Sorry, I would be more trusting of them in the future than the just not delivering anything. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think you're right. I do think it's really hard because I think there's a lot of, you know, high pressure on founders, the board to deliver. And I think at that point, it's saying that you have failed was probably not an option. Though maybe it was, but we will never know because it there was one outcome for it and that was the only outcome we know. Yeah. It really sucks because... Um, it got so much publicity, definitely, because one, it was medical, and two, it was a, one of the biggest female founders, and she was basically over, or I guess, uh, properly hyped at the time, because the mm-hmm. idea she was selling is basically, like, a really big idea, so. Yes. Yeah, I mean, if you imagine it, like, at least from the narrative in the dropout, it positions Theranos as trying to be someone like Steve Jobs, right? This, like, bigger-than-life figure that leads a company to success and just always always delivers on the promise and promises big things, right? And it's just, if Steve Jobs had failed there, instead of being successful, it would have been a small story, you know? Yeah. I mean, the other reason this got big was just, just like, there was some legal issues when you deal with medical stuff, right? And yes. the company signed some contracts there for business stuff, which said they were going to actually deliver on stuff. And that's when things get really hairy. <laughs> Uh, when you try to sell a product you don't have and you don't deliver on that, that's that's when things get uh, really messy. Yeah. So, yeah, whenever you write contracts, make sure it's like ironclad and has an escape clause if you think you might need it. <laughs> yeah, like Dream World promising only to deliver alpha version. Yep. Yeah. Even though it seems scummy, I understand the intent because contract writing. And yes. better to have your bases covered. I think uh, just write better contracts. I think everything in the world will be easier if you just wrote clearer contracts. I don't know. I'm really for transparency. So then writing a clear contract means you're super transparent on all the fallout saying like, oh, if this idea fails because of this reason, this happens, right? I think that is nice to have. Is a little idealistic because I think not all companies want to 
publicly share the outcomes of failures because I think that would cause investors slash external people to be cautious and to be less excited about the product. I think a lot of times, at least that's the Silicon Valley mentality, is that you have to have absolute faith in your product and you have to have faith that it will succeed. And that's the only way that investors are going to be able to gravitate to your product and be able to, you know, get behind it. I, I guess like that makes sense coming from the angle where the investors are VCs or angels, which expect, you know, yes. maybe the company fails, but then like in the off chance that it doesn't, that it, you know, 10Xs, 100Xs, 1000Xs kind of thing, right? Right. And that's the only angle that makes sense because uh, if you think about like day-to-day things, everything you sign, like when you buy a house, when you buy a car, when you do any loans like that, they say if either party can't deliver something, like there's an escape clause there basically saying like, oh, the contract is nulled or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Uh, That is is the proper way to handle it. (laughs) And and I think personal, personal like things, but startups are less tangible i feel like they're they're really about do you want to make a bet on the idea as well as the team and that is a lot less thing you can say and quantify than you can a house or a car true true like there are a lot more variables at play when you're trying to assess whether not only with the idea is good but will the execution be good right because that's predicting the future and we just can't really yes. do that not yeah. yet Okay, cool. Um, yeah, I mean, personally, I don't think Elizabeth Holmes really did anything wrong, generally speaking. Uh, I did think she should have, or at least from my perspective, I would have like just readjusted the clauses, saying and under like start delivery on things earlier, but with less over like over the top promising, right? But the other thing is, it's because she built the hype up right like she built herself up also which i think you're supposed to do in general as a you know a founder you're supposed to have a lot of press on yourself for your company right but at the same time you have to remember that's a double-edged sword saying if you're the company is not successful or you're not successful they're deeply coupled together at that point right like if we go back to the apple and steve jobs thing once Steve Jobs leaves the company of Apple, Apple's toast, right? That's what happens before he rejoined because, you know, Steve Jobs was actually kicked out of Apple. And then the product kind of failed at that point, so they brought him back up. Like, he was tied to that identity. And there's not, it's not necessarily wrong to do that. It's just a tool you have to be precarious about because it can be damaging in the off chance that something doesn't work out, either on a personal level or on a company level. Agreed. Yeah. Okay, cool. So we covered uh, three interesting narratives here. Um, Were there anything you want to wrap this up with? I think, you know, founders and startups are a pretty, really, really interesting topic, especially in the Silicon Valley space. I think there are a lot of reasons why startup fails they attribute to essentially the founding team and i do think that you know we did cover a lot of the things that could lead to them being failures yeah it's oh it's a sad narrative that the success of a company is based off the founders so therefore the founders if their company fails they appear as failures even though the success of a company is not based off the success of the founders. It's many other things, right? It's like yeah. the current times. Um, that's Luck. a huge factor, right? Um, if you don't have product fit because of the current times, like product fit might happen. You know, it might be next year, it might be 10 years. But if you don't have it at the point at which you're doing it, you're kind of like dead in the water. It's a super uphill battle. Yeah. No, I agree with that sentiment completely. The fact that the success of the company is not dependent on the founders, it's dependent on so many other things. The failures, you can definitely point to founders with <laughs> a clear reason of why. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Welcome to the world of startups and how it is today. 
all your failures will be on the founders and all your successes will be kind of on you, but maybe most probably because of the times. Yep. So yeah, just get lucky. <laughs> Easy. All right. That's all I had to say. I uh, hope you enjoyed today's episode. This is Robin. This is Karen. Thank you.